You're listening to the Inglewood College Podcast. Inglewood College is a ministry of Inglewood Baptist Church in Jackson, Tennessee. We believe that just because this season is temporary doesn't mean it can't be deeply transformative. Love God. Love people. Serve the world. We're in a series on sort of the back part of the Gospel of John. So John 13 through 21. And we're calling it the time is now because it's really kind of crunch time in the book. So when we get to John 13, which is what we talked about last week, they are in the upper room. It's the night before Jesus' crucifixion, and he's washing the disciples' feet. And that's what we talked about last week. And we get to a lot of what he tells the disciples in 14 through 16, which is where we're going to be tonight. And really uh, what we're going to talk about for the most part tonight is the Holy Spirit. Okay, and so we're going to try to cover chapters 14 through 16. Okay, so it's a lot. There's a lot that we're going to try to cover, and um, if you would, go ahead and turn to that, John 14 through 16, and we're going to look at the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, there's so many things in, this, in these chapters. You could, spend, you could spend a whole series just talking about these three chapters. So we're not going to be able to cover everything. We're definitely not going to read through it all, so, uh, because I think it would take us the whole time if we just stood up and read through all of it. But I want us to stand up in keeping with tradition, and we're going to read a section out of John 14. So go ahead, if you've got John 14, stand up. Or if you're just going to follow along on the screen, I've got these verses pulled up on the screen. It's going to be 15 through 17. So John 14, 15 through 17, kind of helps us see the picture of, of the Holy Spirit uh, right here in the middle of what Jesus is saying to his disciples. So let's walk through John 14, 15 through 17. I thought it was going to be on the screen. Maybe I didn't put the slides in tonight. So you guys are just going to have to follow along. We'll go with that. That's, that's on me. All right, John 14, starting in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, now you guys can sit down. Aren't you glad we didn't read through the whole 14 through 16 while standing up? Uh, that would make us all tired. So I got some just confessions to make, little preliminary confessions. We're not going to get close to talking about everything that we could from these three chapters. Nowhere close. We're going to skip over a lot of things that you could probably ask questions about and all that stuff. And the focus is mostly going to be about the Holy Spirit, although Jesus tells his disciples other things in these chapters. So our focus is going to be on one kind of element that runs through the three chapters. Uh, but then I also want to say that we don't see everything there is to know about the Holy Spirit here. Okay, there's a lot of other texts we could go to in the New Testament that tell us something about the Holy Spirit. We could go to some places in the Old Testament that tell us some things about the Holy Spirit. Uh, but right here, we have Jesus telling his disciples the night before his crucifixion what he wants them to know in this moment. Okay, so what he lays out here in 14 through 16 uh, was obviously pretty important for them to know. Okay, and so when he's going through here and, and listing off some things of what the Holy Spirit is going to do, we've got to understand that it's not going to be everything the Spirit does. We're going to list off in a minute some six things that the Holy Spirit does that we can see in these three chapters, but that's not everything he does. We're just going to see what John records from Jesus' words here. So if we were going to try to hit everything here or everything about the Spirit, we'd be here all night, um, and you guys probably don't want that. I don't know that I want that. So. Um, you know, and even, even on some of the things that we're going to talk about, we won't go as far as we could. 
We're just going to do the best that we can with the time that we have. We good with that? So, some things to note about these chapters before we focus in on the Spirit. I want to mention a few other things that are kind of a big deal in these three chapters, okay? At the beginning of John 14, Jesus says that he is God. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, in the first verse. And then 6 and 7, he lays this out. He says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. What he's saying is, I am one with the Father. I am God. So he is saying this to them, and it, not that he hasn't said something similar along the way, but right here, I mean, it's, it's crunch time. The time is now, and he's laying it out. I am God, and not only that, but I am the only way to the Father. There is no other way to Creator God except through Jesus. And then he says in chapter 15, verse 13, that he, of how he's going to become the way, that he's going to lay down his life for us. And then he's also going to talk about some things that he needs his disciples to know that are coming. Okay, so he's telling them, I'm going away. But I'm not just going away. I don't want you to lose heart in this moment. You're about to experience some difficult things. I'm going to be arrested. He doesn't lay all this out necessarily, but he's about to be arrested, and he's going to go to the cross, and then they're going to mourn, and then he's going to be raised, and they're going to rejoice, and all these things. But for them, he wants them to know it's not going to be easy for you going forward. Not everything that's about to happen is going to be easy. And even on the other side of the resurrection, not everything's going to be easy. He's going to tell them that some people are going to hate you based on me. They're going to hate you just based on my name because you believe in me and you follow me. And they're going to put you out of synagogues. They might even kill you. He's saying, but I'm not going to leave you alone. If I go away, I will send a helper to you. And he's making that point throughout the chapters, but you can see it really clearly in chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But he's saying, if I go away, I will send him to you. So here's the thing. It's not going to be easy. I'm going away, but I'm not leaving you alone. He even says it uh, in chapter 14 that he's not leaving them as orphans in verse 18. So I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm coming to you. And so he's saying this, who's coming to you is the Holy Spirit. And that's what's going to be at the forefront for us, what we're talking about tonight from these chapters. So there's a few questions, or really two questions I want to, I want to answer first. Uh, well, I guess with the whole time. Who is he? Who is the Holy Spirit? And then we're going to talk about what does he do? Based on what Jesus says, I mean, again, we could go to other places in the Scriptures, find other things that are not included here that could help us understand who the Holy Spirit is. But he lays out some pretty important things right here about who he is and what he does. And I want us to see. Well, for one, who is he? Who is this Spirit? He's God. The Spirit is God. He's one with the Father and the Son. Jesus says that his disciples will know the Spirit because he dwells with you. So chapter 14, verse 17. We're going to be flipping around a whole lot tonight. But he's talking about the Spirit of truth is coming. He's saying the world does not know him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So he's saying that the Spirit already dwells with you. He will dwell in you, but he already dwells with you. And previously, Jesus had told the disciples that they knew the Father because they knew him. So Jesus is saying, look, you know the Father because you know me. And he also says, the Holy Spirit's coming. You know him because you know me. And so what is happening here is he's saying we're all one. That the the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are one. And he's saying, like, 
kind of the same thing here when he talks about the Holy Spirit being with them as, as he's saying about the Father uh, and having they, how they have known the Father based on being with him. And then he goes on and he talks about in chapter 15 how the Holy Spirit is going to be sent from the Father by Jesus. So it's going to be sent of the Father, and he's going to proceed from the Father. That's chapter 15, verse 26. And then he says when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to speak what comes from the Father and the Son. Okay, and we're looking at chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, and we're looking at these things. That whatever he hears, he'll speak. He'll declare to you the things that are to come. He'll glorify me. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Essentially, he's saying the Holy Spirit's going to take what is of the Father, what is of the Son, and he's going to declare it to you. Because we're one and the same, we are together. And so he's God. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. I don't have anything profound to say about the Trinity except for that it exists. Uh, We need to believe that it exists because we're talking about Jesus here. Okay, if we believe that Jesus is God, then we must also believe in the Trinity and believe that the Holy Spirit is God because that's what Jesus is saying. So we're either going to take Jesus at his word or not, but Jesus is very much so convinced, based on what John records here, that there are three persons to the Trinity and that they are one, okay, and that they're unified in everything. So not only do we see that, we see that he's God. Who is the Spirit? He's the Spirit of truth. It's mentioned three times that I can remember. Chapter 14, verse 17. Chapter 15, verse 26. Chapter 16, verse 13. He's the Spirit of truth. And Jesus has just called himself the truth in chapter 14, verse 6. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And now he's saying this is the Spirit of truth. Essentially, he's saying this is my Spirit. This is my spirit I'm going to give to you, and it's going to be the spirit of truth, the spirit that's going to proclaim the truth to them and point to Jesus. And that truth is very much so tied to the word of God because this spirit of truth was very much so involved in the inspiration and shaping of the scriptures. Okay, and we need to see what Peter says. I'm going to read it to you. It's not going to be on the screen. That's on me. Second Peter. Chapter 1, 20 through 21, Peter says this, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. So the Word of God that has come to us has come from God through man. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one proclaiming the truth. So the Word is very much so tied to the Spirit. If this is the Spirit of the truth, then the Word is the truth. And if you ever wonder if you're hearing from the Spirit in your life, but what you're thinking you're hearing from the Spirit doesn't line up with what's already revealed in Scripture, you're probably not hearing from the Spirit. I think that happens sometimes. Like, oh, I think God is telling me to do this thing. Or I think God is telling me to to try to get into this relationship. But it doesn't really line up with the wisdom of Scripture. I think you're probably not hearing the Spirit. Because this is the Spirit of truth. But not only is he the Spirit of truth, not only is he God, but he's also called Helper three times in each chapter, 14, 16, 15, 26, and 16, 7. He is called helper. The word for helper is paraclete. It can be translated into lots of English words. Some of them are helper. You might see advocate. You might read in your Bible's counselor. could be comforter. Regardless, the idea is someone who is called to another's aid who's called to someone's aid, making it possible uh, to do something. 
So the Holy Spirit is one who comes to make things possible in and through us that would not be possible without him. That is who he is. He's going to be helper to us. And so with just these things, we've begun to understand who he is. We've begun to. There's more, but we don't have time to get into it. And these are the things that we see very plainly in our three chapters that we're talking about tonight. So we've begun to understand who he is. He's God. He's the spirit of truth. He's a helper. Now, what does he do? It'd be easy to say, well, he helps, right? And that is one of the things we're going to talk about, but not first. So what does he do? I have six things that he does from these chapters. For one, they're easy. They're one-worders. Dwell. Dwells. He's coming to live in Jesus' people. Okay, so in, in, cha- in chapter 14, in 16 and 17, he says this, and I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. He's going to be in you. And then in verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus was already doing something really remarkable. In this moment, Jesus is doing something remarkable. God is with us. God is with his people walking with his people in a way that hadn't happened quite this close since the Garden of Eden. But now he's saying, not only is God with you, God will be in you. It's a whole other level of what's going on and the closeness that we can have with God. Even in the Old Testament, the people of God had the presence of God in the tabernacle and the temple. But in the New Testament, we are called the temple of God. They had, you know, they were in close proximity to the presence of God in the Old Testament. Even the New Testament, the disciples, and when they're walking with Jesus, they're close, even closer to the presence of God. But now he's saying the presence of God is coming to make his home in you. And it was promised in the Old Testament, and now we see it fulfilled. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 have this to say. So Paul is saying, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Again, that's 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. And we can take Paul's word for it because it's the word of God coming through Paul. But also we see here Jesus saying, yeah, I'm coming back to you in the spirit. It isn't just Paul saying it. It's not just the Old Testament prophets proclaiming, hey, this is gonna happen. Jesus is saying, yeah, it's me. Me and the Father, we're coming and we're gonna make our home with you. So the spirit of truth is gonna dwell in us. That's something the Holy Spirit does when we believe. I think that's an important distinction to make. He doesn't just dwell in everybody. Only those who have put their faith in Christ, who are his followers, those who keep his word, those who love him, are the ones that will have him abiding in them. So we see that he's going to dwell, but also as part of dwelling, he fills. Dwell and then fill. Chapter 14, verse 21 says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Manifest myself to him. Maybe you've heard the the phrase before, like the manifest presence of God. You know, sometimes when people experience revival, like the whole Asbury thing, people will go in there like, oh, there's a, a different sense about this place. It wasn't so much the place, it was that the people of God are there, and the manifest presence of God is is obvious to them. 
But what Jesus is saying is, is anyone who has his commandments and keeps them and loves him is going to be loved by the Father and have his presence manifest to them. So that you don't have to go experience revival in a place where something amazing like that is happening. You can have the manifest presence of God in your life right now. Jesus says it will be manifest to you. And it won't just be, uh, you know, me up here telling you that the Spirit is there. And Jesus is saying it's not going to be just me telling you that the Holy Spirit is coming, but you're going to feel it. There's going to be a sense that the Holy Spirit is there. You will know, and in this, in this context, in verse 21, he's, you'll know the love of God as Jesus manifests himself to you through the Spirit. So he's saying, like, he who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. You'll know the love of God as I manifest myself to you. You'll experience the love of God. And you might want to check that statement and say, I don't know that I've ever felt that. I don't know that I've ever felt the manifest presence of God. Are you telling me that I haven't received the Holy Spirit? No, that's not what I'm saying to you. Just because you don't feel it or haven't felt some supernatural experience doesn't mean that you have not felt the love of God. Sometimes it is not as visible and God is working it in us and we can't hardly notice. Maybe we're distracted or blinded or um, we might just not notice the things that he's doing. And I want to ask you, like, have you ever heard the word of God or read about his love and just knew in you this is true? It wasn't an amazing feeling. It wasn't like some kind of tingling, weird presence thing. It was like, okay, I hear this. I know that God loves me. I just know it's true. I'm convinced of it. I think in that itself is you realizing and having that manifest, the, God, the love of God manifest in you by the Spirit, of knowing something like that is true. It's not based on how you feel, but have you ever known God's love and known that God's love is true? then he has manifested himself to you in this sense by the Spirit. Not only that, but filled with the comfort of Jesus' peace. So he says in chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Saying, I'm going away, but I'm sending the Spirit. So he says, I'm sending the Spirit, and he also says, I'm sending my peace. I kind of think the two are are connected. I'm leaving the Holy Spirit with you, the spirit of peace. So we have the comfort, this, again, the helper idea, of the comfort of Jesus' peace. So Jesus lays out that there's going to be some difficult stuff coming for, for the disciples. He's about to go away. They're going to kill Jesus. The disciples are going to be hated for Jesus' sake. They may end up dying on his account because of his name. But he says this thing in 1427 that he leaves unnatural peace with them. He said it's not like the world gives peace. I give a different kind of peace. It's a whole different level of peace, his peace. Jesus had enough peace in himself to walk into death for us. Yeah, he faced all kinds of agonizing, you know, sort of torment of the soul in the Garden of Gethsemane where he sweats drops of blood. I mean, just hours after saying this, if not minutes. And so he's saying these things, but yet he went into it. He stepped into it. I don't think peace all the time is like feeling comfortable. I think it's the ability and like knowing who you are and knowing God's love so much so that you can walk into something that's difficult and have supernatural peace. Not that you feel good, 
not that everything is, is good and relaxed and you just feel this sense of calm, you might be torn up inside. But still being able to walk into it, I think is a sign of, of having a supernatural peace. of God giving you that kind of peace. It wasn't like he was unbothered. But he still walked into it. And he, he does it with this confidence, this confident peace and a boldness. And he's saying, this is the peace I leave with you. This is the peace I give you. And then he comes back to this kind of confident piece in verses, uh, verse 33 of chapter 16. At the end of what he's saying here, before he ends up going to the Father in prayer, he says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Saying, you will face trouble, but take heart, I've overcome it. And that's the peace I leave with you. Not only filled with peace, but also filled with his joy. Chapter 15, verse 11. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. He's just finished walking through with the disciples. Kind of this, he's laying it out. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, obey. Live for me, love me. Love me enough to obey my commands. Something that the Spirit is going to help them with. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But he says, I'm, I'm talking about these things. I'm talking about obeying me and abiding in me and bearing fruit. He's saying, I'm I'm saying all these things so that you have fullness of joy. If you abide in me and obey me and live for me, you will have fullness of joy. My joy will be in you. So he's talking about filling them with a full joy. And those those three things I mentioned, love, peace, and joy, it's no wonder that they're the first three fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5. Galatians 5, when God wants to walk through You know, he's talking through Paul. He wants to tell us what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. What is the Spirit going to produce in your life? Love, joy, peace. And Jesus is talking about, those are the things I'm giving you. Man, it's good stuff. A third thing, reveal. He dwells, he fills, he also reveals. One of the big things the Spirit of truth is going to do is communicate truth. He's going to make sure that we know the truth. He's going to reveal it to us. So in verse 26 of chapter 14, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Think about teach you all things. The Holy Spirit's gonna teach you all things. Wouldn't you love for that to be the case? God, could you just teach me all things about this class that I'm taking, this test I'm about to have to have? That would be amazing if you could just like bring to mind, you know, I know that God knows everything and if you're in me, you could just, you know, Plant those thoughts in my head, God, please. I'm not sure that it means the Spirit's going to tell us everything about everything. But I think it means that the Holy Spirit has wisdom to bring into every situation. That there's going to be, in every situation, this wisdom from the Spirit that he can help us with. There's not a thing that we're going to go through that he can't walk through with us and show us how to do. So the Holy Spirit has these things. You know, everything God intends for you to know the Spirit can reveal to you. And then you consider this, bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. How do you think we got this gospel of John? How did we get it? He wrote it years after all these things were said and done. The Holy Spirit brought the things back to his remembrance. So he's telling John, more or less right now, hey, don't worry, you don't have to write all this down right now. The Holy Spirit is going to bring it back to your memory. And he's going, to, he's going to remind you of what I said. 
what God intended for us to know of all that Jesus said and did was communicated by the Spirit through the gospel writers, including John, who was there when Jesus said all these things. I find that amazing, kind of mind-blowing. And on that idea of remembrance for us, I believe the Spirit brings to our remembrance the truth contained in his word. One of the great benefits of Scripture memory is that, for one, you remember the word. Um, but for another, when you plant these things in your mind, the Holy Spirit has the, the ability to just bring it right back up. So when you memorize Scripture, he has this, you know, it kind of makes it easier. It's like on tap for him to bring up this truth. But not only Scripture memory. You might be like, hey, I can't do that. i got a terrible memory as evidenced in my grades or whatever. But you're like, at any moment, even if you haven't memorized something, if you have heard it, if it's out there in the Word, the Holy Spirit can bring it up to you. He can bring it to your mind when you need it. You know, any truth from the Word can come back because He is the one who brings things to remembrance from God. So there's another couple of verses on this that I want us to, to look at for a second too. 16, chapter 16, 12 and 13. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He's telling his disciples, I, I can't tell you everything. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. And he will declare to you all the things that are to come. The spirit will guide you into all truth as it comes from the father. The truth that the father wants you to know, he will reveal to you through the spirit. You don't have to worry. He can do this. And the Spirit only reveals, I think this is fairly important, only reveals what is from the Trinity. He said he's not speaking on his own authority. He's not coming up with his own stuff. Anything the Holy Spirit communicates to you is something that has come from all. Father, Son, Holy Spirit together. And and anything he is saying in his word that he's communicating to us comes with the full weight of the whole Trinity. Anything he's going to bring to mind from the scriptures is going to have that weight. And what about this, this thing in 13 about declare to you the things that are to come? Could be talking about a gift of prophecy, I'm not sure. But again, anything that he tells us is not going to not line up with the scriptures. Anything you think you're a word from God to share, but doesn't line up with the scriptures, it's not from God. And I think it's also interesting, he's talking about revealing to you the things that are to come. John, who wrote this, will go on to write the book of Revelation, the things to come. So he's at, the Holy Spirit's going to reveal to you the things to come, and then he did, and he wrote it in here. And one thing that the revealing of truth is going to do is convict. That's the fourth thing, convict. We've already talked about this a little bit uh, in our prayer time earlier, that the Holy Spirit would convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That comes from chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. Sin, he even gives us the why. You know, what is the why behind this? Because they don't believe in me. He's going to convict of sin because they have not believed in me. What does it mean? I don't know what all it could mean. <laughs> there could be thing, meanings that I uh, didn't even think about when I wrote these things down or thought through these things, but I think one thing it could mean is that the Holy Spirit will do a work of revealing people's sinfulness to them. He's going to reveal people's sinfulness to them. He's going to reveal their need for Jesus. One way the Bible describes our condition before knowing Jesus, think about this, before you were saved, is being hardened, having a hard heart and being blinded. 
That's the way he describes any person who is outside of Christ, who doesn't know him yet, is hard heart and blinded to these things. And the Spirit is the one who comes along with the truth, convicts of sin, and reveals, uh, reveals the truth and softens hearts, removes the veil from our eyes so that we can see the problem of our sin and see the solution of the cross. That's the Holy Spirit's work. That's something that he does. But he also convicts of righteousness. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm going to the Father, and they no longer see me. What does it mean? I think it might mean that Jesus, the embodiment of righteousness, is going to the Father. What they had an example of perfect righteousness right there in front of them, people weren't paying attention to. Now he's going to the Father, so he's going to work his righteousness through the Holy Spirit for the world to see. So the Spirit must put his righteousness on display now on the earth. And how is he going to do that? I think he does it through us. That we walk in Christ's righteousness and we do the Lord's work and the world gets a chance to see righteousness in us through the Spirit. Jesus himself said the disciples would go on to do even greater works than he had done. He says that in chapter 14. How? The Spirit. Spirit working in them. Earlier in Matthew's gospel, uh, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells his followers that they should shine as lights in the world so that people would glorify the Father. And I believe that the conviction of righteousness in, uh, in the world that the Spirit is going to bring is through us living in Christ's righteousness. You know, we're going to live out this righteousness of, of God and live out the good works that he has in mind for us to do so that the rest of the world can look on and see God. Not only that, he convicts of judgment. Why? Because the ruler of this world is judged. What does it mean? At least part of what it could mean is that the Spirit will keep it in our minds as believers that the ruler of this world has no power over us. One thing the Holy Spirit does in us is that he helps us to see that sin has no power over us. It has no dominion over us. Satan doesn't have the authority over us anymore. That's been broken. The ruler of this world is judged. We have the spirit. We're no longer bound to sin. You know, sometimes also, you know, it seems like things in our, in our world are so like, crazy that there's no way that God is still in control. I think part of what the spirit does is remind us of that, of the fact that there's a coming judgment, that God has things under control. Vengeance is mine, says, says the Lord. It's Romans 12. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so I think he wants us to live in light of the fact that the ruler of this world has been judged. You may not see it yet, but it's coming. God is going to set things right. There's a fifth thing, help. The Holy Spirit helps. He's the helper, right? What does the Spirit do to help us? I mean, what does the Spirit not help us do? You know, any good and God-honoring thing that we do comes about by the Holy Spirit's work in our heart, in our mind, in our life. It is not of us. It's not for us, not for our glory. The Holy Spirit works these things in us. If there's anything good in me, it is Christ. Jesus tells his disciples that they're going to do even greater works than they've witnessed from Jesus, not because of their power, because something is going to happen to them soon. They're going to go on, and the Pentecost is going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon them. They're going to speak in other languages. They're going to do mighty works. They're going to have supernatural boldness to share Jesus with people who want to persecute them and throw them in jail and kill them. And the same Spirit comes to work in and through us to do great things. Not just the big things that we would say, oh, that's a miracle, or that's an amazing thing. Oh, I'm speaking in tongues or whatever. Like, not 
we should look at these things in the, in the New Testament and go, that's amazing, right? But we shouldn't be like, hey, if God's not doing amazing things in me, things that are obvious to me, we shouldn't be like, oh, that means that God's not at work doing great things. Sometimes the great things are not super obvious to us in the moment. But we can be convinced that the Spirit comes to help us do great things. And as Jesus talks about in chapter 15 about the whole abiding thing, he's trying to tell his disciples that in the day-to-day, to bear fruit and obey my commands, you're going to have to abide in me. You're going to have to abide in me. Do the day-to-day things of walking with me, living in, in my word and obeying my commands, loving me. You know, if we're not careful, we can get legalistic looking at the things that we read in chapter 15. You know, we start reading about how he's the vine and we're the branches, and if we don't bear enough fruit, he's going to cut us off. And we can start thinking in legalistic ways, oh, I've got to do enough for him to be okay with me, and you know, I've got to bear enough fruit or whatever in order to, to stay right with God, to stay connected to the vine. I don't think that's, a, that's what he intended. I think he intends for us to see that we're going to abide in him because he abides in us. I mean, look at verse four and five of chapter 15. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Kind of makes the point again about, I can't do anything good unless it is the spirit working in me. But not only that, the spirit is going to work in me because he abides in me and I abide in him. I think that's the point for us is not like, oh, I got to do enough good stuff, but rather to see if the Holy Spirit is in me, I will abide. I will remain and I will bear fruit that he can and does do these things through me. And not only that, but I think he also helps us to pray. Multiple times in these texts, I mean, a huge thing, it's over and over and over again. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. Chapter 14, verse 14. And then he goes on and mentions it in multiple other places, asking things in my name. What I think we see is that we have a connection now with the Father and the Son through the Spirit. That means our prayers are always heard. Over and over and over again, he says that. Pray anything in my name and I'll be done, and it will be done for you. And then he has this to say in chapter 16, verse 26 and 27. It says, in that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believe that I came from God. So like he's saying, it's not so much that you just have to come through me. Yes, all our prayers go through Jesus. He is our intercessor and the mediator between us and God. But he's saying the Father cares about you. You have access to the Father through the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit within you, you can pray and he's gonna hear you. We have, there's another text we could go to, we're not going to because it takes us a while. Romans 8, 26 to 27. Talks about the Holy Spirit that he fills up our prayers where they're lacking and that the Father knows the Spirit. And if the Spirit is within us, then that means the Father knows exactly what we need. And that the Holy Spirit is, it's, it's like this connection between us and God because of the Spirit dwelling in us. So he helps us to pray. We could mention one more thing about what he helps us to do, and that is to bear witness about Jesus. 15, 26, and 27. He's just, talk, just been talking about the hatred of the world. And then he's gonna go on and talk about the hatred of the world again at the beginning of 16. But in the middle, he says, but when the helper comes, whom I'll send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he'll bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. And what the Spirit is about, we're also gonna be about. 
He's about bearing witness to Jesus. So we will too. And he's going to help us to do that, even though we're going to face persecution for it. If you openly talk about Jesus in our culture, some people are going to hate what you say, without a doubt. Jesus says it's not that they hate you, it's that they hate me. They haven't known me. It's not on you. Don't worry about how other people respond when you start talking about Jesus. You know, if they hate you, if they despise what they say, what, what you say, if they persecute you, they persecuted me. This is what you should expect, but you can do it. You can bear witness about me because the Holy Spirit is in you and he's going to help you to overcome. He said, I've already overcome the world. The last thing that the Holy Spirit does is glorify. It's pretty tight with the idea of bearing witness. Glorify, chapter 16, verse 14. It says, he will glorify me for he will take what's mine and declare it to you. God the Father and God the Spirit will glorify the Son. They exalt him. In some interesting sense, there's a, there's a glorifying or a respect, a submission to the Father in the, in the Holy Spirit and the Son. The, the scriptures talk about Jesus being exalted and they given him the name that is above every other name. Philippians 2, the Father's gonna give the name that's above every other name to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit is gonna glorify me. You could even say this is the primary role of the Holy Spirit on earth, to glorify Jesus. Taking what is his, Jesus's, and declaring it to the world. And if that's his aim, that's our aim too. What the Holy Spirit is about, we will be about because the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And if we aim to do anything but this as believers, to glorify Jesus with our life, then we're grieving the Holy Spirit. That's Ephesians 4.30. It talks about not grieving the Holy Spirit. It can be kind of confusing, but I think what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit is to work against what he's working. If you're living for your own glory or living for yourself, then you're working against his, his highest aim, which is glorifying the Son. So he glorifies, we glorify with him. What do we do with all this? Six things. I've talked for a long time. I apologize. Except I, I kind of don't also. Here's some simple things. What do we do with this? Believe what Jesus said. Believe in what Jesus has done. Thank God for dwelling in you. And if you're not sure that he does, ask him to come save you now based on what Jesus has done. To forgive you of your sins, to make the relationship right between you and him so that you can have his Holy Spirit living in you. Not only that, be filled with his love, his joy, and his peace. Do not ignore what is already there. Sometimes we're like, man, I wish I, wish I felt more of God's love. I wish I felt more of God's peace. I wish I felt more of God's joy. You have it. It's there. Enjoy what is yours in the Spirit. Pay attention to what's been revealed. Be convicted of sin. Live in such a way that Christ's righteousness is on display in you. Look to the Spirit for help. Live in the help he actually gives. You can bear fruit. You do not have to sin. You can obey. Do it. It's possible. Glorify Jesus in all you do. It's simple, right? Not, not too simple. It can be difficult, for sure. But we have help in the Spirit. 